Welcome to uh, Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. Uh, join me once again, third time in a row, three, third time lucky. It is uh, the one, the only, Alan Niven. Bonjour, Alain. Comment allez-vous? Uh, très bien, merci. You see that? I, I made your name French there. Isn't that, I, that is just fantastic. That is fantastic. Um, I have to admit, I have a little French blood in me, but that's a long story, and let's move on. Let us move on. Uh, last episode, and I wanted to just uh, go over this with you. Uh, we were talking about Ron Keel and Spencer Proffer. Uh, over the years, I've heard this rumor that Axel, not Axel Rose, Guns N' Roses' greatest song, or one of the greatest songs, Sweet Child of Mine, was initially conceived and or written by Spencer doesn't seem to appear on any credits anywhere. Is that just some wild, crazy rumor that, that the internet runs wild with? Or is there any fact to that? It is a wild and crazy rumor. But there is, as in most rumors, uh, a very small germ of truth. And as I recollect, uh, Axel pointed out to me at one point when I was telling him that I was unimpressed by Mr. Proffer as being the appropriate uh, person to uh, produce their record, that he did actually come up with an idea for Sweet Child, which was the where do we go, where do we go, where do we go section. But what I'm going to do is tell you that it was a complete steal, lyrically and melodically, from a song by a British blues rock band, and you can all go hunt for it. Oh, really? It was a steal. It was a steal. Really? So I'm going to have to look that up, huh? All right, so next... Uh, you go hunt for it. Next episode, hopefully my, my hunting will be successful and I'll figure out where that line came from. But, uh, you know, all right. Um, wow, all right. So now, see, now I have something to do, so I don't have time for a long intro. So let us get right into this interview with a Clutch frontman, Neil Fallon. And here's the fun things, folks. This interview was originally set up and supposed to happen in 2016 at the Rock Carnival in New Jersey, Lakewood, New Jersey. Didn't happen. Then uh, attempts were made to get us on the phone through 2017, 2018. Didn't happen. And then at Heavy Montreal in 2019, we were set to go. Going to meet backstage. We're going to do it in face-to-face. Didn't happen. So this has been... Yeah, I know what you're thinking. It's 2020. This interview has been four years in the making, but we finally got it done. This, uh, Alan, by the way, is the Chinese democracy of interviews. It, it, it took four years, which, hey, you know, we got it done. Anyway, here is uh, Le Seul Unique, the one and only, Neil Fallon. We are speaking with uh, Clutches at Neil Fallon, recently released Monsters, Machines, and Mythological Beasts. Uh, uh, as we say here in uh, good old Montreal, uh, bonjour, monsieur. Pleasure to talk to you. Oh, thanks. Uh, my pleasure's all mine. You know, it's actually been, for me and, and Clutch, the uh, four-year interview progress. Uh, we, we were scheduled to talk back in 2016. Something happened with the show, and then we were going to do at Heavy Montreal, and then something happened there, but here we are. Uh, this is going to be great. Excellent. Yes. Well, I know we'll come back to Montreal, you know, sooner rather than later. It's a place we haven't played nearly enough. Yeah, and it's it's a great town, great vibe for for rock music. But uh, let's quickly talk about uh, what you did uh, earlier today. 
You did the uh, YouTube coming at you live where you played some of your songs and you, you talked to the audience a bit. Uh, you uncomfortably said to people, please subscribe. In fact, let me start with that. Uh, at the end when you say, uh, hey, folks, uh, if you like what you're seeing, please subscribe, you, you, you sort of felt a little uncomfortable about that. Why, why was that sort of uh, strange to ask for? Well, um, you know, to be quite honest, when it comes to like YouTube and streaming and that, we've for many years had a kind of get off my lawn attitude about it. You know, we, uh, we're, you know, a very traditional rock band. We like to get up on stage and do it and then go to the next town and do it like that. And we've been doing it for 30 years. So it's a bit like, you know, teaching an old dog, a new trick. Uh, it's, uh, you know, to me, I mean, maybe someone who grew up with this, who's younger than I am, has no problem saying something like, please subscribe, but talking to a laptop in is, was uncomfortable to just, uh, to begin with. So then kind of asking people to su subscribe, it's just on, I guess it was, if anything else, it's just, I hadn't done it before. I mean, usually if you do it enough, you get used to it after a while. Right. So, so let me talk about a little bit about this new medium in the sense of a lot of bands are, well, in fact, not all the bands, all bands are off the road and we're, we are having to do this Facebook live and YouTube live and do you see that as something that's just stopgap or are we seeing the industry slowly moving to more online performances where a band like an Aerosmith or a Kiss that might not have the physical uh, stamina for a 200 tour, uh, 200 show tour could just go to a soundstage, put on a show, sell it across the world to Australia, Japan and just say, hey, here we are. Uh, do you see ourselves moving for, into a model of less interaction? Um, I think it's a bit of both. I mean, as far as like things like social distancing, I, I can't predict the future. However, I do know human beings are social animals and it's not just about going to see your band live and loud. It's about being in the same room with your friends and, you know, drinking beer or having a laugh or, you know, it's the whole experience that, uh, of going to see a live band of any genre. And I, that will, there will always be a demand for that because people have been listening to live music for tens and if not hundreds of thousands of years. That'll never change. However, um, I think, you know, just speaking for ourselves, I could say that once things get back to normal and they will get back to normal eventually, you know, we'll hit the road again. But I don't really see us stopping this kind of thing because yesterday was a bit of a revelation. I was honestly expecting a few dozen people. Cause it was just a test. It was to test our audio. And, um, when all was said and done at one point, I think it peaked at like 6,000 people were watching the thing and it was all over planet earth, you know, places that we've never played and most likely may never play, you know, with people you know, from the Ukraine, you know, commenting on it. And it was really, really gratifying to see that it, it is and and listen as any band can tell you you can't get to every market in the world and so this might be a way to settle you know get in there like i i like bands from the uk like status quo and thunder and stuff and they never play north america and listen i would certainly pay 20 bucks to watch a show um also monsters machine and Myth mythological beast is a digital-only release. We, we talk about being old school and, and wanting to get on a stage and play a show, but how about, uh, you know, physical product? Why sort of go only digital, not have let a fan have something to hold on to? 
Uh, we do. I mean, we do press records and we will continue to press records, but you know, rock and roll and heavy metal is its own little bubble that we live in. And we are very physically oriented, especially the older uh, you are, you know, you want to have, you want to exchange your money for something that's tangible. And I always felt like buying a record was almost like buying stock in a band. Like you, you've invested yourself financially and emotionally into something that brings you joy. So the, the thing is the, you know, despite everyone's best efforts, physical sales are going down and down and down and down. And really a, a record is more of a, a collector's piece at this point. It's not the way people listen to music, whether you like it or not. And, um, I think we also run in the same circles where we, we bump shoulders with a lot of audiophiles. But the fact of the matter is that there are a lot of people, and I think the majority of people don't care how they get their music, whether it be on their phone or their desktop or streaming through their smart TV. Um, and we just have to adapt since we own our own record label. This is the record label side of me saying, okay, we need to figure out how to get through these other channels because, uh, Record stores are very few and far between, as you know. They are, and and they're going to be uh, disappearing as we move forward. Um, uh, talk to me a little so also about the uh, the Weathermaker Vault series, where you've been putting out songs. Uh, I don't want to say drips and drabs because that almost sounds uh, nasty, but you've been going slow. Instead of putting a full collection, you, these singles come out one at a time. Uh, talk to me a little about that about that thinking, and why not just say, "All right, we're going to sit around until we get ten songs, and then we'll put them out." Um, for two reasons. Well, one, we know there's a period of time, uh, between, you know, the last record and the new record. And nowadays it's very important to keep people's attention. And this was the first time we thought about releasing something just digitally. And we wanted to kind of have a protected play instead of saying, okay, here's our new album of 10 songs and it's just digital and have the fans just melt down in fury because they want an album. We wanted to experiment and see what it was like to just put out a digital single. And we'll probably co compile those onto a vinyl record eventually. But this, it, the one other thing that's changing too is the whole notion of the touring cycle. I mean, it used to be a band would, you know, record a record and then the record label would set it up for three months and then the band would tour anywhere from two to five years on it. And then when that was exhausted, they would make another record. That's done. That's over. Um, with, for us, it's just kind of habitual. Right. Uh, what else might be over, when, and I've been talking about this with other artists, is uh, with the COVID and, and, and the uh, shows, a lot of the middle ground is going to be lost in terms of the smaller clubs may not survive. You know, your Madison Square Gardens will probably still be there. Do you think moving forward that we're going to lose a lot of the sort of farm clubs uh, event type venues where you get to develop your craft and and if so how do we replace that i hate to say it but i think we will lose them but i also think they will come back maybe not the same venue with the same name but i genuinely think people want this like they want to watch or be i think sometimes the word entertainment uh is thought of as a cheap word but i don't think it's cheap at all i think it's humans entertaining each other is a bit of a a sacrament, you know, as us as a species, and there will always be that demand. Um, and uh, it's going to hurt, you know, a lot of the places that we grew up in basically are going to disappear and are just going to live in memories and photos. 
Um, this happened before. It's happened with vaudeville when the movies came out. And those vaudeville places are now rock and roll halls. So I have a feeling that, you know, some of these rock and roll halls are now going to disappear, but they will be back somehow. Actually, that's a very, that's a very uh, astute uh, uh, vision on that. I always thought they would just disappear, but you're right. The vaudeville ones did sort of reinvent themselves. Um, when the band gets together and, and starts making music, how important is commercial success to the band? You know, you, you, you start back on Pure Rock Fury and Blast Tyrant and you start getting on the charts and you start getting this heat. But when you sit down to write a song, do, do you just write sort of the best clutch song possible? Or do you think, okay, we need to throw in this and that to make it radio friendly? Um, <clears throat> no, is the short answer. I think uh, we've made our music in the same manner since the very beginning. We like, we'll cut, cut a riff up, you know, and kick it around and I'll put lyrics to it. If anything, we have to shorten it because the, we have no problem sitting on a riff for five minutes, but that's not a song. You have to have ups and downs and dynamics in it. Uh, sure. There have been plenty of times that we've edited our songs after the fact uh, as a single to go to radio, but that's over too. terrestrial radio and rock and roll are done. Um, so it, it's, it's kind of liberating in some regards that you no longer saying that you have to get to the hook in the first 30 seconds. And, um, I think, uh, well, I'll give you an example. There was a radio station, uh, a internet radio station in the UK that we offered a, a song to uh, called Willie Nelson. And they wanted us to edit it for radio. And we just decided, no, we're not going to do that. And wouldn't be able to say that 15 years ago. No, you'd, you'd have to play the game. Uh, well, okay, so you've said a couple of times that we're, you know, this is done and this is done. Where do you see us going from here? You, how, how do you sort of see your career moving forward and how do you sort of plan for what's coming up? Well, um, it's all conjecture at this point. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to look at the glasses being half full and, you know, otherwise the only other, you know, option is despair and I can't do that. Uh, I, assuming things get back to normal or whatever the new normal is, um, I think that the appetite for live music and festivals is going to be off the charts. I think people are going to go bonkers to get out in the summer in a field in summer and listen to their favorite music with their friends. Uh, it may be a slow start with that, but I think maybe sometimes you have to have something taken away from you to appreciate it and not take it for granted. And maybe I, I certainly took plenty of things for granted. Um, and, you know, a band like us, we will do that because that's what we love doing. But we've also learned a lesson. It's sort of like, uh, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. And that's what we're doing right now with singing to a laptop. Yeah, that that seems to, uh, that doesn't seem to uh, get you very excited to stand in front of the laptop. But I, I think it's what we're going to be doing for, for a little bit. Um, Ticketmaster and Live Nation have said that they think shows will be held off until fall of 2021. Uh, when it does come back and the fans do return, where do you see ticket pricing going and things like meet and greets? Is that something of that's also in the past where it might be nice to spend 300 bucks to meet Clutch or to meet Kiss or to meet whoever, but now 
you're just going to be like, yeah, okay, we're done. Where, where do you see sort of the business model going? Well, we're probably the wrong band to ask that because we never did our own meet and greets. We always found it really uncomfortable charging people to meet us. We'd rather do it naturally. Uh, you know, we had sometimes, you know, a venue or a festival would say, you know, you have to, that's part of the deal. You have to meet and that's fine. Um, I have a feeling that's gone away too. You know, the whole idea of shaking hands day after day after day with strangers is probably not on anyone's to-do list in the near future. Um, ticket prices, that's hard to say. I mean, I think there's more value certainly in a live show. I think those, and, uh, because there's more work that goes into it. You have to, it's not just the bands that survive off of that. It's the crew and the vendors and, and a lot of other kind of like peripherals that go around a festival. Right. Um, I, so I think there's that, but I think maybe, you know, just speaking what we did yesterday, I, I see a lot of bands doing very kind of short concerts for a little bit of money. So maybe it's more like that. It's more of a, uh, it, there's no, you know, you don't have to drive. You don't have to get a designated driver. You don't have to park. Um, so maybe the convenience of watching a band play for half an hour for a couple bucks in your house will be appealing to people. Um, I know I, 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 but I do think again, the demand for live music will never go away. I fully agree. And, and, uh, I've been watching sort of the, the, the talking heads say that ticket prices will go up and I just don't see how you can charge fans that have been unemployed for one month, two months, three months. and are not going to try to get their mortgages back in order exorbitant prices but that's that's just me well i think there's a lot of it has to do with um you know band, that's the only way bands are making money now they're not making it on album sales and so it's merch and ticket sales physical tickets and i've seen bands do they're in a small smaller capacity rooms um with you know maybe a kind of boutique or a longer intimate set for a lot more money um and we, we talked about that and I think that's, you know, it, it's kind of odd for us because our fans, you know, that they, they're working class people and a lot of them have not been working and who God knows when they'll start working again. So to come around and do that, I think wouldn't necessarily be in anyone's interest, theirs or ours. So where the ticket price ultimately ends up, that's above my pay grade, really. Yeah, it is. Well, not not that it is, but I I do think that we're going to see a, an adjustment. Uh, the Obelix or Obelix, as we say in French, is uh, coming out on Record Store Day in June. Um, talk to me about the box set, but also the importance of an event like Record Store Day. I, uh, I think it's it's become very celebratory and very important to everyone involved that they have something for that day. Um, talk to me about about those two things. Well, it's, of course, it's great to support record stores because they're, again, few and far between, and they're almost always mom and pops. And um, it's a cool opportunity to do something, you know, kind of off the wall, you know, whether it be just a picture disc or or a reissue, or you want to do something with an etching, you can get real creative and people really have the appetite for that. Um, So, you know, this record store day, I've heard rumors that they're going to do more than one. So the release date, I think for the obelisk, it may not be that day. It may be at a different one, but I could be wrong because 
I think people don't know if these record stores are actually going to be open at that time. So we'll, uh, we're just kind of waiting around to find out. Um, so that's where we stand with that. Yeah, Yet another I, unknown. Yeah, another unknown. And, and that's, I think, what the hard part. But I was reading that information straight from the record uh, recordstoreday.com. So hopefully. Oh, OK. But, well, maybe you're right. Well, you know, listen, I, I don't think there's anybody who's right these days because uh, shows are being rebooked and recant. And, you know, you just you just don't know. It's, it's very strange. Uh, we just we were we're, we're booking shows that we can't that we haven't even done yet. We're booking them uh, already now for summer of 2021. And it's a really strange phenomenon. But, you know, uh, it's easier to, to reschedule than it is to cancel. No one wants to do that. Yeah, that's true. Okay, well, so, so talk to me about how you sort of plan the career out. Because I see a lot of bands are delaying releases. And, and I would think, well, now you've got a captive audience that could probably sit at home and listen all day. But... How does Clutch sort of see themselves moving forward in terms of planning? Because you, you can't plan necessarily a September tour. And do, do we know if 2021 is realistic? We sort of hope so. Uh, how does that affect the business in terms of just getting the ducks in order? Yeah, it's hard. It's just a lot of unknowns. You know, we, uh, I'm, I'm fortunate, you know, I, don't, I know a lot of bands that, you know, just had an album come out or are about to have an album come out and the rug is just completely pulled out from under them. You know, we had pretty much tapped out on book of bad decisions and, you know, we had already been talking about the next record when this started. Uh, but you know, we're like anyone else, the logistics can be difficult. Um, getting together, certainly getting into a proper studio is going to be problematic. Um, we want to write a great record, but it's going to take a lot longer. Um, my, for example, myself, I've, most of my days are spent homeschooling and trying to relearn mixed fractions again. And it's hard to turn around and then go, okay, now let's write a, a song, you know? So it's, I've heard the analogy a lot uh, used of building the airplane while it's already in mid flight. And that's kind of where we're at right now. It really is. And, and in terms of the, uh, the algebra and stuff, don't, at what point do you just turn to the kids and go, listen, I, I don't use this in my life, so don't worry about it. It's- uh, we're getting close. <laughs> I, I have I have told that to my two kids. I go, listen, you're not going to need that. You're not going to be an engineer. Just sh- stop it. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, hey, listen, I can't do everything. Uh, Weathermaker Music is, of course, the record label that is owned by yourself and your manager. Uh, talk to me about the decision to have that set up and be the owner and proprietor of your own music and not hand it over to Universal, not hand it over to Warner uh, talk to me about the importance of that decision, and is it something that you recommend up-and-coming bands do? Is start your own thing? Uh, I'll say that it's this—it's the best business decision this band has ever made. Um, it started what we had done, you know, the major label dance for years and years, and then we signed a deal. It's supposed to be fifty-fifty. They didn't pay us anything, um, so we went to court, and they couldn't pay us then, and so we got awarded back three masters which was uh, Blast Tyrant, Robot Hive, and uh, Beale Street. And we asked ourselves at that point, like, do we want to just give this away again? And we said, no. So we started Weathermaker. It was a lot of work. Where business doesn't come naturally to me. John Paul is definitely more of the businessman of the band. Um, but, you know, you cut out so many middle people. Things happen so much more efficiently. And, you know, if something goes wrong, we know who to blame. 
and we can fix it. And I think fans appreciate the notion of buying, you know, from the band instead of a middle person. And, um, it's, uh, and, and I don't, why any artist would think that signing to a major is br- something to brag about is beyond me. I, I, there's a stigma of putting out your own music because if it's sort of like, Oh, no one will take us in. Uh, I, I meet people, you know, like I'll say, Oh, we put out our own record label and they're like, Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Like, what? And, you, and then turn around and then brag about them signing a seven album contract. That, that mentality from, you know, the seventies, eighties and nineties is still ingrained in a lot of people's heads. Young bands now are so in tune with things like YouTube. Uh, why would they want to do the, get some kind of patron in a massive company? It never works out in, especially these days, rock and roll is, you know, as far as like the popularity contest, it's, you know, it's as good as it's ever been, but it doesn't sell music like it did in the you know seventies and eighties. It's a pace change. So you got to find your audience and it's a lot easier to do that if you do it on your own. Now, you know, they, they say with, with streaming, with Spotify and Apple Music and all that, that the labels are getting rich and the artists aren't getting rich. By having Weathermaker Music, has that sort of leveled the playing field for you where as people spin it on Spotify, you are seeing a return? Or is there still this disconnect between what those streaming services are doing and a band? Well, from what I understand, the reason those labels are actually getting wealthy off of Spotify is not because of royalties. It's because they own Spotify. They're, they're the investors in Spotify. So if you're an investor in Spotify, sure, you're making bank. Um, but the actual, I mean, I remember, I forget, maybe it was Pete Townsend was talking about his check for uh, a who, like the who's quarterly of payment. And it was $80 or something. I mean, the, the, the formula that they use, it's laughable at best. I kind of look at it as like, okay, we got to play this game too. It's a bit like um, free advertising. You know, so you, the algorithm decides that you're, you're, this person likes this, so they might like that. And you sure it can be convenient for your daily playlist, but, uh, to actually as a, as a revenue making machine from the artist's perspective, it's, it's a joke. It is. Listen, I, I had this conversation with uh, Desmond Child, and I think he said that living on a prayer has been down to like 6 billion times with a B and he got a check for like under $4,000. And this is like, what now? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I believe it. <laughs> what now? For how? Anyway, um, the other thing I just really quickly, quickly want to touch on is uh, the uh, the lineup. The band has been the band for it, its history. Many bands, of course, move parts in, whether you're talking about Iron Maiden or you're talking about Kiss or people come in. What has sort of kept this band together and... If one of the guys comes to you and says, listen, I'm older, my back hurts, I want to be with the kids, I need to stay home, do you move on or is clutch, clutch, period, end of story, we're not starting to do, inter- we're not a Lego, you know? Well, hopefully, you know, we're a band whose sum is greater than its parts. Uh, you know, there have been bands that, you know, have replaced 
members and done just as good, if not better. Uh, and there are some that you, you place one thing. It's like a, it's like Jenga. The whole tower comes down. Uh, there's a certain synchronicity that happens between people. And I think we have that to a degree. Um, you know, if someone said that, if it were, you know, he just couldn't do it for whatever reason, uh, I think we would just cross that bridge and we, we get to it. I do know this. I don't have any other marketable skill than what I do. So I would do my best to keep going. But at the same time, I would understand that that was a, an irreplaceable moment in clutch that whatever it had, whatever changed, it changed it drastically and it would never be the same. So you're, you're not, uh, you're not building bar stools. If, uh, if Tim leaves or something, <laughs> well, I'll do whatever it takes, but right. you know, it's, there's something, you know, there's an expression. If you do something you love, you never work a day in your life. I think that's act complete BS because if you do something that you love, you, you work your ass off at it and try to protect it. And that's one thing we've become, you know, very, is, is very defensive about this over the years. I early on, I took it for granted. I was young. I took most of everything for granted. Now it's a, it's like a very precious thing that we try to constantly circle the wagons from anything that could, you know, um, change that sometimes fate deals a, a bad hand and that's just, we can't do anything about that, but we can right. do our best to lower the odds. And I'll finish on this. Uh, you mentioned that you don't have any other marketable skills, of course, jokingly. But what is sort of the importance for the band to keep making new music? Because at some point after all these years, going back to whatever, 91 or 92, you have a catalog of music. You could just show up at a whatever, a venue in Montreal and say, Clutch is here tonight, and, and you'd get the same amount of fans. Um, how important is it to actually stay creative and stay moving the ball forward on the field and not just say, all right, here, we'll give you 10 greatest hits. Leave us alone. Um, I think the creative, if you, if someone has the creative impulse, then they have to do it. It's sort of like, you know, a shark has to keep swimming or it drowns. Uh, I, the, I've had my happiest moments when I had that eureka moment about lyrics or a guitar riff. And also those moments of less inspired times where I was completely, pulling my hair out and uh i don't think that'll ever change i think the the joy of creating something out of nothing is once you get a taste of that you want to keep doing it over and over again and if you're in a sure being able to play an instrument is great but there's a moment where if you're just playing the instrument then the artist the artistry isn't there anymore it's, it's just become more of a technical um, proficiency thing, and uh, you got to have both. Yeah, yeah, yeah I agree. Uh, and and you know, as much as I love when bands do like the album tours, sometimes I I, I see it a bit lazy. You know, you could just go, hey, it's the Blast Tyrant tour. It's like, yeah, okay, but come on, you know. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, we will. We do that. We'll Sometimes. do it. We've only done it two or three times. Right. But the idea of doing it for a tour just is not appetizing. Yeah, and that's and that's what I've always appreciated about Clutch. It, to me, it's a band that's always moved forward. I, I I don't see the band as somebody that sits back and go, "Wow, in 1998 we did Elephant Riders. If we could just do that again," and that's what I appreciate about your band. So uh, on that, Neil, thank you so much. Oh, thank you. And yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad we finally got the interview done after four years of missed calls and missed opportunities. Uh, the best one, of course, and I'll finish on this was Heavy Montreal. 
uh, as you recall, they had the artist world on one part of this island and the media tent on, in another city, quite frankly. <laughs> it was ridiculous. And they sent uh, all the media to the media tent and they left the band in the artist world, which was literally, you know, half a kilometer apart. Or a clock, <laughs> and it was just like, uh, well, anyway, that was anyway. Nobody, yeah, I remember getting getting taken around in a golf cart, and I was like, where are we going? This is we've been in the golf cart for twenty minutes already. Um, so yeah, through I mean, the it was dust, beautiful. I think it all worked <laughs> out, but logistically, it was a nightmare. It was. I mean, the festival when you're on the stage, it playing, it's great, but that artist world media tent situation was just a little bit on the funky side, but it's okay. Listen, it's all yeah. rock and roll, and everybody enjoyed it. And all I want is that it happens again. So let's 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 hope. It it will. Thank you, sir. Merci. All right, thank you. Cheers. Yep. Bye bye. Ever wonder what Vince Neil would sound like if he was a black belt in Taekwondo? <laughs> what about what his favorite McDonald's menu item is? Just hold the pickles. This is Rock Talk with Mitch LaFun.